Welcome to the Retreat House Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Smith. I've invited a friend to come and join me at the Retreat House table. Come and join us. Thank you for joining me at the Retreat House table. Today, I have the pleasure of having my friend, Melissa Larson, sit with me at the table. Melissa is an adjunct professor at the University of Northwestern in Biblical Studies, and she and her husband own and run Vineworks, which is an online market for fair trade items. Did I get that right, Melissa? Yes, you got it right. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Is there anything else you want to say about yourself or introducing yourself, who you are? Um, Well, I think part of my greatest joy is who I spend my days with, and that's our children. We have, Michael and I have nine children together. Um, Although they don't all live at home anymore, Mm -hmm. they're still, um, some of my greatest joy is my time I'm with them. So, yeah. Nice. So a wife and a mom. A wife and a mom. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. So we're in the middle of a series called Following Your Call. And why I thought of you is because when, when I met you, well, and found out that you were a Bible professor, a female Bible professor, which I was so excited about mm-hmm. because when I was at when I was a student at Northwestern, that didn't exist when I was there. And then when I started to hear more of your backstory about the nine children and um, just your story with that and how you became a professor, and then also the call that you said that you have to feed the spiritually hungry. Did I get that right? Mm-hmm. And then your husband with his calls more with on the vine works side of giving a market to fair trade goods. And I just love the, I don't know. I love the marriage of those two things. So I just wanted to hear more about your story. So I don't know if you want to start with you. So you have nine kids. Maybe we should just start there because I'm sure people are like nine kids. Oh my goodness. How do you do it? And be a professor. Yes. So I did not start working at Northwestern until, um, I guess it was 2013. A lot happened in 2013, actually. I had graduated from um, graduate school. I was hired at Northwestern to begin teaching. Our family took a trip to Israel. And we launched Vineworks all that same year. So Michael has a real strong calling to eradicate poverty, at least be a piece of that. And so he wanted to provide a platform that we could help employ people and then sell their product here in the United States. And as I was thinking about that, although I am a part of that, that's really was his vision and his call from God that he laid on his heart. Um, I thought the way that intersects with with my calling is I feel that I have a real strong desire to eradicate spiritual poverty and just Mm -hmm. be a piece of that, of helping to teach what does the Bible say? How do we study the Bible? How do we apply these principles to our own life? And that kind of sounds like a big, bold Um, audacious goal to have, but it was just wanting to be a piece of what God was doing with Mm -hmm. that. And so um, I think it started with our family at home. Originally, we homeschooled our nine kids and being able to teach them and train them. God has given me a bigger, broader audience now, being able to teach at a university and have these students come into my class and have that Mm -hmm. opportunity to, to train them as well. So... Oh, I didn't know that you homeschooled mm-hmm, we do. all of them as yeah. well. Oh, wow. Yeah. And yeah. you have how many still left at home? Three. Okay. Three are at home. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. that's huge. So then how does, that, how does that play out with being a professor and 
homeschooling. Home. You know, well, teaching. I am just an all adjunct. the kids. All the kids. That's right. <laughs> so I am adjunct, and I set up my schedule to teach at the school Tuesdays and Thursdays. So okay. I'm able to be home Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays with the kids. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, our kids are enrolled in really wonderful co-ops in the Twin Cities, where they take courses from other instructors. And so they are there when I'm at school, and then we're all home together on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Right. Nice. So it works out well. So how did you do that with having, I mean, not only going to graduate school, but did you have children when you were finishing your bachelor's and we homeschooling? Did. Yes. So a lot of how I did it is with the help of my husband, just being, it is a partnership. I don't know how I would mm-hmm. have done it without him. Um, I finished my undergraduate degree in the evenings and okay. then went straight from there into graduate school. So um, that was just one night a week, which worked really well with our schedule. So he would be home with the kids when I was there. The writing of the papers and the other coursework was a little tricky with Mm -hmm. kids. So I realized that I was going to have to sacrifice time. It couldn't be the kids' time. So I started getting up earlier in the morning to get my reading and work done before they woke up. And then sometimes staying up. um, It's hard when you have teenagers to stay up later than them because they can can outbeat you. but then just finding time even on the weekends to kind of sneak away and get some of my work done it was definitely a sacrifice of time with that. Yeah. yeah. And so the last four years then you've been teaching at home and teaching at the university. Yes, correct. Okay. And then yes. at the same time launching VineWorks. Yes. So did that come out of, you said you went to Israel in 2013. Did did VineWorks come out of that or did VineWorks come out of, how did yeah that come to be? Vineworks came out of um, a missions trip my husband and I went on in 2011, went down to Haiti. And it was a 10 days that we were there and we came home. Michael really felt this itch um, of what more can we do? How can we help these people? Because I think it's great to go on missions trip and to be there and hug kids and visit orphanages and bring clean water and all of that has a fantastic place. Mm -hmm. But in the long run, what can we do to sustain and bring help into that country that's been um, is struggling with so much. And so he really feels in his one of his quiet times one morning that the Lord sort of downloaded this idea into him of the idea of hiring the artisans in Haiti to build Christmas ornaments. Now okay. that goes back to the idea that my husband's been making a Christmas ornament for all of our kids for years and years. So it's oh. not like out of the clear blue he was thinking of ornaments. But we had gone in October, and so the end of November we have a Christmas tree up, and he said he was just looking at the ornaments and thinking, I wonder if we could find people to hire there to provide jobs for them, then mm-hmm. bring those ornaments back here. Now, the idea was twofold because they don't celebrate Christmas in Haiti the way we do here. So being able to explain the gospel message to the artisans in Haiti. Okay. And then also, as we brought them back here, we were selling them through home shows, um, home parties. And so we would invite people into our home or to our friends' homes, and Michael would go and speak and tell the story of Vineworks. Um, then they have an opportunity to, to sell, to buy the ornaments. And then it kind of was a trickle-on effect of they could sell, buy the ornaments, and then tell the story again to someone else. And so that first year before we actually went to Israel, I think he did about 30 home parties in the month of December. And it <laughs> wow. was crazy, crazy busy. And so Israel was sort of a time of um, reprieve for him a little bit, although we were super busy there too. Mm-hmm. But it grew from there into... What if we could hire more artisans in more countries? And so now we're in eight different countries, and our products are not just limited to ornaments, although I think those are probably our favorite because that's what started started. the company. But we have bags and candles and beanies and chocolate and all kinds of fair trade products made throughout the world that 
in you know developing countries or we can give jobs there and then we can come back and it's providing jobs here for people too as well but just give them a platform an area to buy the merchandise well and i love that and i i i love the model too that it's that vineworks is a business mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a nonprofit correct and to to show the example that you can you can have a business here and support business someplace else. Right. It's like when business and ministry start to intersect. Right. When it becomes really purposeful. Right. I think that's really yeah. beautiful. Well, one of our, um, and it's focused in our URL, we're vineworks.gives. And one of our main principles is to give back the profit that we earn. So what we do is take 50% of the profit and reinvest it back into the country where the product was made mm. to start microloans and to start churches and schools and to sort of continue to spin and help the economy there. Um, and then the other bit of the profit we invest back in the country into our business um, with our employees and merchandise and getting things ready for um, the next launch of the next product. Okay. And you recently took a trip to Haiti. We did. We was went that, back to Haiti. Okay. Yes. Was that to visit some of the artisans? It was. We were able to visit most of our artisans that we have in Haiti. I think we have five. And we were able to take one of our employees with to show him he had not been to the country before. So that was okay. really fun. Yeah. I think it gave him a new spark and interest in just seeing the work that we do and the purpose that it has to see mm-hmm. it firsthand is so helpful. Now, is that your first official full-time employee? Yes, he okay. is. Other than our children, right. but they yeah. get paid. <laughs> they get paid in Chipotle and things like that. Right. So. <laughs> and so, then, what does that new employee? What are the hats that that new employee? Wears? So, Alex is his name, and he does a whole host of things. He started out doing a lot of marketing for us and working with um, Google AdWords and Facebook and. Um, even got him on Pinterest and doing things mm-hmm. like that, does some blog posting. But it's so much more. I mean, he is such an incredibly gifted young man that he just sees a need and fulfills it. So he does a lot of our order fulfillment. He does a lot of our ordering. He does a lot of scouting for new um, partners to work with. Yeah, he, he has little downtime. He keeps himself very busy, and <laughs> we love that about He's him. He's good with the order fulfillment, too. I've made some orders, and I'm amazed at how quickly they yeah, come. He's yeah. good. He is very good. I'm sure that might slow down, just full disclosure, in the holidays. I'm sure that right. probably gets yes, busy. Yes, it does. And that's where we kind of call on some of our kids to come and help out with some of that, because from the end of November through the end of December is for sure our busiest time. Just with fair trade Christmas giving, I think people have a real heart for that, and so this mm-hmm. is our busiest time of the year. Yeah. I just made an order yesterday. I saw that you had new products, so I'm just yes. going to talk about them. Yes. I'll bring it up. You have ones that are shaped like Minnesota. Yes. Ornaments for Minnesota mm-hmm. and wall hangings. Yes. Wall, metal mm-hmm. wall art that's in the shape of Minnesota, which I yes. love. Yes. I love. We do too. Maybe it's because I'm born and raised here, but mm-hmm. I love I that. I think there is a pride with that. And there are a lot of people in Minnesota, for whatever reason, who have been to Haiti with different ministries. Mm. It just seems to be a big cluster of people who have a heart and a love for Haiti. So we thought just even to have them support something that was made there, they've sold really well and done very well in our marketplace. We also bought little Haiti ornaments this year for Christmas to give, uh, to sell in our uh, marketplace as well. That's the outline of the country of Haiti. So I think that that's oh. going to be Oh, I did see that too. too. Yeah. Because it does have a unique shape to yeah. it. Very nice. Yeah, so it's fun. So how have you seen, uh, so the, the call that you and your husband have to, to eradicate different kinds of poverty. How how have you partnered together in that? So I you know, I hear you traveling with him in in Haiti mm-hmm. with Vineworks and supporting that his call. How what are some practical ways or ways that he's been able to support you in your call? 
Yeah. So I think it started even back when I went back to school, just being such a cheerleader of of me and my gifts. And mm-hmm. we had come out of a church that um, did not support women in roles outside of the home. And for a woman in ministry at the time, that was um, hurtful for me and hard for me to understand. And I was trying to, um, I guess, put my understanding with that according to scripture and what does scripture say about that. And both Michael and I really believe that God has given both men and women gifts to use in and out of the church. And Mm -hmm. he has been such a proponent of that. So I think his support of me really is what led me to go back to school to further my degree and to know that God has a great opportunity for me to be a wife and a mother in that role that is at home, but also outside of that to be using my gifts and abilities in the church and then now in my role at Northwestern. So I think his support is the biggest thing, just being my biggest cheerleader, Mm -hmm. you know, encouraging me in that and other women as well, our daughters, we have five daughters and he's just a huge fan of them and what God's called them to do and wants to support them and um, just love on them in that way. So he... And your sons. And our sons, yes, yes exactly. <laughs> um, so that's the biggest thing, I think, is his support with that. Um, and giving me time, being available to help with the kids when I need time to prepare and get things ready for that. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. a great hands-on dad. Oh, nice. So so what has it looked like um, being a professor at Northwestern and and being able to walk that out these last few years of... Um, you know, doing that, pouring into your children for so long, and then now pouring into students mm-hmm. at Northwestern. You know what? What have been some of the differences? What have been some of the the joys in those kind of those mm-hmm. two different arenas? Yeah. So it was probably a year after I had been teaching at Northwestern that I really saw these things as two separate roles. That I had a role at home and I had a role at school, and God really opened my eyes to this idea of authenticity, that in order for me to be fully who he created me to be, I needed to quit seeing things so compartmentalized that really how I treated my kids at home, even if it's, you know, that loving, caring, nurturing side, that's still a place for that at Northwestern. Mm. And I remember standing teaching one morning and I had this realization that I am just a surrogate mom to these students. I'm not just a teacher, but as you said, there's not as many female um, professors in the Bible department as there have been men. That, that is changing, and I'm super excited about that. But this opportunity I have to be um, up in front of them and not only teaching them academically, but being there in a caring, pastoral, nurturing side too. Now, I know they all have moms. They have fabulous moms. But if I can partner with that and just be the mom extension of what they're used to. I've had a lot of people say, you remind me of my camp counselor, you remind me of my mom. And (laughs) I take that as a compliment because I think that's, for me, that is my most authentic self is I do have a very relational mentoring, um, caring spirit about me. And so I don't need to separate that out of the classroom Mm -hmm. and be professional and stoic and stern because that's not who I am. So I think I teach best when I bring all the gifts that God's given me into the classroom and don't try to be something that I'm not so that I can appear smarter or stronger or um, in a different position than I am. Not that we're peers. It's never like that. But just a softer um, presentation, I guess, than just instructor to them. I love that. I mean, as I think about women that have spoken into my life, it's, you know, well, I, I think we've heard it before with, a high schooler has their parents say something to them mm-hmm. and then they go and a teacher says it or a youth 
leader says the exact same thing, mm-hmm. and it's the most profound thing they ever heard. Right. And the parent was like, I just said that to you. <laughs> yep, it's just sort of hearing it from different, with right. different ears maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. So that's great to be a different voice, a different voice with the same message. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I love that you are giving yourself permission to be fully who you are in the classroom too and not thinking, oh, I'm a professor. I need to be so, so stoic and Mm so, you know, like almost unapproachable. Right. Right. And not that there's, I like, can name professors who are like that necessarily, but the stereotype of just me being in front of the class and them being the student. And I just mm-hmm. want to break that barrier, that wall that I am approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, it did help the first year I was in school. My son was at Northwestern at the time, and he took one of my classes. Mm-hmm. And he decided to bring five or six of his football buddies into the class with him. So I did realize during that course, if I can teach them, I probably can teach anybody (laughs) because they had been to my home. They probably had seen me, you know, first thing in the morning, making pancakes for them and whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, and actually I loved it. I loved um, the opportunity. I don't know how many of us can say we've taught our children, you know, in a collegiate level. It was just fun to have him in there. He was very respectful and his, his friends, of course, were too. So it was a wonderful experience. But when they first walked in, my first thought was, how am I going to do this? Yeah. How am I going to be, you know, so, but it went great. So what does, what's not, you know, what's ahead? What looks, what does the future look like for you teaching and for VineWorks? Yeah. So teaching wise, um, I'm going to continue on this path. I am so grateful for the opportunities I've had there and the classes that they give me as adjunct. You mm-hmm. typically are offered with the full-time um, have already gone through and chosen their courses. Okay. But um, I'm really happy to learn a new course and teach new things. That's not does not intimidate me. But I hope probably to continue just on Tuesdays and Thursdays until my younger kids graduate so I can give them some focus time. Um, There's a really exciting opportunity that just came up this last month that I was approached by KTIS and Northwestern together. They are asking me to write what's called a MOOC course, which stands oh. for a Mass Open Online Course. So it's going to be a, a course around the life of Christ. That may be the title. Okay. We've landed on one yet. <laughs> and um, it's going to be a free course that's opened. So it will okay. be probably on both websites, on KTIS Radio and University of Northwestern. And then people can enroll and take this probably about a seven-week course. Then at the end, we're hoping to have a proficiency exam that can be taken and actually get credit then for taking the course that can be applied at the university. So all the details haven't quite been panned out, but the opportunity is there, and I'm really excited about that. So That's very exciting, yeah. especially with your call. Right. I mean, I talked to a lot of – because I had the opportunity to go to Northwestern and to have a Bible minor and to study the Bible academically as well as, you know, in my relationship yeah. with God is such a gift. I'm realizing the more and more I talk to people who didn't haven't had that opportunity to – to flesh that out or right. to talk through theology and, you know, to know what questions to ask or, or really how to, sometimes even how to study mm-hmm. the Bible. And so I think that's great to give yeah. people the opportunity, to give them that kind of college level access to right. studying the life of Jesus. Yeah. Well, Michael says he's been watching God expand my boundaries. And I think that that's a little how it feels, that it was first my home and my family and then as um, it grew, it was now at Northwestern, and now it's really a whole bigger amount of people that 
um, I have the opportunity just to have a partnership with and learning. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. not sure that everything that's going to be in this course is going to be brand new information to everybody. But I think if you haven't had a chance, or maybe if you're an adult student who thinks, do I have what it takes? Could I go back and get a degree? Mm-hmm. I want this course to be a place to begin to say, this is what a college course is like. Mm-hmm. And if you enjoy it, you know, there might be more in the future, or you could even come and take the class at Northwestern. I think it also hopefully can highlight the theological and biblical studies program at um, Northwestern and just the what we have to offer there and what we teach. We're hoping to do videos of different um, instructors to kind of give a view of mm-hmm. what their area of expertise is. I'm very mm-hmm. excited about that. So it'll give you a chance to see who teaches there and what do they teach and what are they like. And so I'm very excited to be a part of this. That's very exciting. Yeah. So then with Vineworks, they, um, at, unfortunately, we're kind of both getting busy at the same time. But as we move <laughs> into Christmas, just looking at our new products we have to offer, um, we have Alex full time, and then we have Elizabeth who's come on that does all of our photos and um, mm-hmm. look books for us and the pictures on the website, and she runs Instagram. Um, we would love to be able to um, offer more jobs. These two have been such a delight to work with. They're both just recent college graduates. And just their passion for understanding and learning about fair trade. And even though we are a for-profit company, we run like a nonprofit. So mm-hmm. even being able to teach about that and what that looks like has been really fun for us. So we hope to be hiring more in the future. Probably, again, these young people, because they're so eager and they're so um, interested, I think, in this this line of work. So that's been fun for us. Yeah, and I think that's something I see, too, with the next generation that's coming up is this wanting to affect the world positively right and to make a change Mm -hmm. and that's i mean again i love that format of you can have a business and be profitable and still make an impact right yeah Yeah. i love that i feel like that's also an extension elizabeth was one of my students is where she came from where we found her and um well she wasn't lost but you know what i mean she was in my class (laughs) and it was a natural um partnership with her but I, you know, 10 years ago, if you had asked me or told me I was going to be teaching college students before I even had had it, my own child go to college, I would have thought, no, you're, I'm not. That's not my area. It's kind of like if I thought about teaching junior high, sometimes that scares people too, mm-hmm. that age of yeah, yeah. being involved. But I feel like this is definitely, these are my people. This is mm-hmm. who God has called me to. And I love the stage of life that they're in. I love their perspective. I've heard a lot of stereotypes about this generation. I haven't found that necessarily to be true with who I'm in contact with, but they are very humanitarian minded. And how can I leave a mark? The other thing I see with them is wanting to have a piece of significance, Mm -hmm. wanting their work to matter, Mm -hmm. wanting to um, have something that they leave behind and have something that they're proud of that they're working with. And so that's like a legacy. Yeah, legacy. legacy That's a good word. Yeah. So that's, that's fun to think about where this will go with with Mm -hmm. some more employees. Sorry to interrupt the show, but after Melissa and I talked, she got back to me and said that Vineworks wanted to offer Retreat House listeners a discount at Vineworks, which I'm so, so excited about to offer because what they are doing, making a marketplace for fair trade goods and partnering with artisans all over the world so that these artisans are able to support their families and just make a living is such a beautiful model for a business. I love it. Go to their website and look at the items that they have for sale. They've got some great metal ornaments that are in the shape of Minnesota, some that are in the shape of Haiti, and they are offering Retreat House listeners 20% off your order. You just use the promo code Retreat House, 
all one word, all capital letters, and you'll get 20% off your order. So thank you so much to the people at Vineworks, to Melissa and the whole team. Thank you so much. So head over to Vineworks and check out their items and get 20% off. Yay. Now back to our conversation. When you were talking about the what's up next with your um, teaching, it may, do you have a favorite class? Made me wonder if you have a favorite class that you've taught so far. I love teaching Life of Christ. And mm-hmm. the way that I teach it is, um, so at Northwestern, we have semester classes, which are 15 weeks long, and we have quad courses, which are just seven weeks long. And Life of Christ is a quad course, which, so it's just a two-credit, seven-week class. But each of those weeks, we look at chronologically through the life of Christ, from his childbirth to his crucifixion. And I just love, first of all, debunking the Christmas story of all the things that mm. we're told that mm-hmm. aren't quite quite the way they are in Scripture. <laughs> but I just love telling the story of Christ, because that's really who we're wanting to model our life after and who I'm wanting the students to look at. Uh, my other favorite thing to do, which I know drives them all crazy, is I make them think, you know, oh. why? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they want to say, just tell us what the answer is. We right. can write it down. Jesus, God. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I love to just throw that back at them. What do you think? And more than that, why? Why mm. do you think? And so um, last week we were studying the end of Christ's life and the idea of when Peter was in the garden and he pulled out his sword, which Jesus had told him to bring to the garden when he came, and he cuts off the soldier's ear, mm-hmm. and Jesus reaches down and picks it up and restores the ear. And I say to them, why is that not talked more about? You know, we hear the whole story of Je- in, at Easter time of his death and resurrection, but all those people who are in the garden, why didn't anybody pick up on, he just put an ear back on um, right. someone's head. Mm-hmm. So, and we talk through, you know, did he possibly heal more than just physical with that man when he picked up the ear? Was there something in Jesus' touch that could have done more to him? So I love that. I love taking aspects of of scripture and just looking deeper in the culture, what was happening mm-hmm. and how we can then apply that to our life today. And so that's, that's I the was most fun. Just doing a Bible. I'm in the middle of doing a Bible study at my church and we were talking about um, actually that period of time too, leading up to the crucifixion and then his resurrection. And something that struck me was that the, that the priests, the Jewish priests, when they went to Pilate and said, you know, he's a threat. Mm-hmm. He's a threat because he's saying he's the king of the Jews, so he's no friend of Caesar's. And later Pilate says, well, isn't he your king? Do you want me to kill your king? And the priests, the priests said, we have no king but Caesar. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I that for whatever reason, that seemed so profound to me before of how they were, what they were denying. Yes. To say that Caesar was their only yes. king. Well, and to remember that that same crowd of people who were there when he was being tried was the same people a few days prior at the triumphal entry who were screaming Hosanna. Mm-hmm. And so how quickly they all changed their story. Yeah. So this Messiah had come. He was right there in front of them coming to um, to die for them, and they let him die. They right. didn't. Yeah, there was no defense of him. So, no. yeah, that's... There's yeah. so much in that story. There I mean, is. it could be a two-year course. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much. <laughs> well, I love so. that you're looking at the life of Jesus, too, chronologically, because that's the study that I was, am doing, was doing that. So it was looking at the chronology and then taking where it is in the different yes. Gospels instead yes. of reading which there's value in just reading all of Matthew, right. all of Mark, all of Luke, all of John. Um, but that it was just the life of Jesus and then filling in with the Gospels Yes, what was happening in his life. Yeah, and even 
history-wise what was happening because I mm-hmm. think often students ask, well, how do we know? How do we know when it was? Well, you can figure out the timeline of his life by based on what was happening in history. That's a whole different record. It's, we're not just looking at Scripture because Scripture, as we know, is all truth, but it's not all of the truth. There's so much more that happened in Christ's life that wasn't recorded. Mm-hmm. And so if we can look at other history books and see, you know, when was Caesar in office and when was um, Caiaphas there and get those timelines. It gives much more richness to the story of understanding what was going on at that time. Yeah. So and the culture, so studying yeah. the culture. So fun. Yeah. I could talk about that forever. Yes, I could too. <laughs> We're getting off yeah. on a tangent. So there are two questions. Well, okay. first of all, um, is there anything that I haven't asked you about your call or about Vineworks? Anything that we've left out that you want to make sure we say or add? Yeah, I can't think of anything. Um, I just love the idea of the partnership that we both have with this idea of poverty. And I part of it was, I think, even discovered through talking to you, just the idea of how mm-hmm. Michael feels his call, because he also has a full-time job, too. Vineworks, he'd love that to be his job, but really mm-hmm. that's um, his second job right now. And then I have a job, and, and Vineworks tends to be kind of my second job, too. But I do see just how fun it is, how God has used both of our strengths and weaved this together to have it be a ministry that both of us can be involved in. Mm -hmm. I don't have near the business expertise and understanding that Michael has. And so um, I liken it to going to GameStop with my boys when they were young teenagers. And I was just stand there thinking, I don't know gaming systems. I don't even know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what game Mm -hmm. to get and (laughs) what console. I don't know anything. (laughs) And so sometimes business feels that way to me. Mm -hmm. But realizing that God has another role for me in that of coming alongside and encouraging him and even bringing a spiritual aspect to what we're doing and being able to even find some of the students we've been able to hire. And it's just neat how God can work in a marriage to bring strengths of the husband and strengths of the wife to do things together that, um, and that's what Weinberg said, it's kind of the birth of both of our strengths together. That's, so. I love that. And that you talked about him being your cheerleader and championing you, right? continuing your education and teaching, and then you get to do that with him, yes. with Fine Works, too. Yes. To be yeah. his champion, to be right. his cheerleader. Right. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's been fun. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. So there are two questions that I ask okay. all my guests. The first one is, how do you retreat? Is it a place? Is it a practice? With all the things, all the things <laughs> that you have going on, um, how do you retreat? Well, I see retreat sort of in two components for me. One is a personal retreat daily that I try to have alone in the morning Mm -hmm. um, with my coffee. And that is a really important time for me. I like to be alone. Of course, I could sit in a room with other people. Mm -hmm. But um, that to me, taking that quiet time in the morning to read scripture, to pray, just to even sit in silence and rest before my day begins is a daily practice of mine. Um, Retreating on a bigger level is Michael and I try to a couple times a year get away. Um, being so extroverted, the idea of going away by myself is not my favorite thing. <laughs> so I like to take him with me. But mm-hmm. just going and even if we just go to, um, we have a cabin in Wisconsin that his family has that we are able to use. And to go there for a weekend or um, we went to Cancun this past April together. And to me, just having that break from the questions and the, hey, mom, and can mm-hmm. you do this? And, and dishes, answering laundry. exactly all of those things. That's just nice to have a break. But we have to actually get away from our home to have retreat. Because retreat to me is rest. It's a mm-hmm. quietness. It's rest. It's fulfilling. It's um, just taking time to think without the noise and the clutter of life. 
So I do feel like I have a daily practice, but then on a bigger scale, it's just time away with Michael a couple times a year. Yeah, I like I love that distinction too of the everyday practice and then the bigger, yeah. the bigger yeah. retreating. Um, and then my other question is. I celebrate weird. We celebrate weird, my family. Uh-huh. So if you were to use the hashtag celebrate weird, what is something about you that you would use that hashtag for? So you could think it's normal, but other people tell you that it's Might weird. Might think it's weird. Yeah. Um, I think I have felt a little weird for a while, just with the size of our family and then that we homeschool and mm. some of the crazy things people have with that. Um, I love, and I, all, I say this often to people, if you could see the part of my life that doesn't get put like on Instagram, mm-hmm. that's really the delightful part. But the hashtag would go to, we love to sing and dance in our house, around the house and be silly. <laughs> and um, sometimes my kids will say, what would your students say if they could see you? I would hope that that would, would translate fine to them, that mm-hmm. they would just see that as part of me. I mm-hmm. don't do that in the classroom, but um, <laughs> I just like to celebrate just being free and being mm-hmm. silly and listening to music and dancing and, yeah, mm-hmm. giving other people in my home the freedom to do that, too, just to be goofy. Right. So. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah. That is what the weird looks like in my house. Mm-hmm. And one of my sons is fairly introverted, but to see him at home just being weird right. and just, right. you know, exactly yeah. what you're saying, dancing yeah. around and being silly. And yeah, I, love I that. would say Michael's much more quieter, introverted, and I'm much more demonstrative, gregarious, louder extrovert. Mm-hmm. And I feel like most of our kids have started out introvert. But I think having a safe home to be themselves and to have that be stable for them, they've all grown into this. Now, they didn't turn into extroverts, but they've mm-hmm. turned into this ability, this freedom to be themselves and I wish I had known that um, when they were younger, because I think I panic sometimes thinking, mm-hmm. oh, they're so quiet or they're not going to be able to, you know, talk to adults or, but they do grow up in that. And I think part of it is just us showing them that. So it's even in times of celebrating weird mm-hmm. that I think we can demonstrate to them that this is a place you can do that right now where you feel comfortable. And if you don't feel comfortable dancing around crazy, you know, later, you always know you have this, this right. home that safe can space. provide that safe space. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming yeah, on you. and sharing your story and the story of Vineworks. I've, I've loved learning it, and I'm so glad you're able to come and share it. Well, thank you. It was really fun. Thank you for listening to the Retreat House podcast. For any links mentioned in the show, head to the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. And join us next week for another conversation at the Retreat House Table.